Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it. You love it. It is Victory Lane. I realize that the events that have transpired this week in the NASCAR world are a bit heavy, but I try to bring you guys a little bit of a, an escape from the real world sometimes, so that's what I'm going to give you guys today. Um, on the Rowdy Burns edition of Victory Lane. How about that? Anybody seen Days of Thunder? All of you? That's what I thought. Rowdy Burns, number 51. Corey LaJoy said that he had some really cool memorabilia of his. A race-worn fire suit from the movie of Rowdy Burns. That's pretty cool. Um, so this is the Rowdy Burns edition. We're actually going to talk about the Kyle Larson incident that happened. We're going to touch on that after we hear from Jagger Jones, a.k.a. Jagger Jones, on this episode of the show. He is right now sitting on the sidelines, but overall is a really, really cool dude. We'll get to know him a little bit better. And how the heck is he boys with, uh, oh yeah, the GOAT, Jimmy Johnson? We're going to find out that. How he got his start in racing. Obviously a very, very big lineage in his family. His dad, PJ, raced. His grandfather, Parnelli, raced. Won in Indianapolis 500. So we're going to hit on it all with Jagger Jones. Uh, been friends for a few years through the K&N ranks. Uh, he's been one of the really cool guys to get to know and talk to. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. You're going to find out a lot of the things that you knew about Jagger are true and a lot of things that you may not have known on the surface about him as well. So before we go into Jagger, how about we start this episode like we always start with a good old And here's Jagger. It is a honor and a pleasure as always to welcome on anybody to this fine podcast. But today... Jagger Jones. I'm going to call you Jagger Jones, Jagger Jones, Jagger Jones, whatever. Former Sunrise Ford winner and the best name in all of NASCAR, I think. Jagger, thank you for coming on with me today. Yeah, thanks, Davey. Thanks for having me on. You don't have a good nickname for me, though, do you? No, I think I think the Davey Siegel is about all i got for you all right that's pretty lame not gonna lie you're gonna have to work on that i know i'm not too good with with those creative nicknames <laughs> well we we're just talking off mic um i always ask my guests if they have any time constraints and you said no absolutely not so i take it that uh coronavirus is keeping you pretty bored um for the most part i mean i'm chilling here in arizona it's a nice 68 degrees um, went on a little mountain bike ride this morning and planning on doing some iRacing later. That's about uh, mixed in with a little online school. That's about most of my days these weeks. So yeah. um, not too much time constraints. I think we're all kind of just sitting on our toes waiting for this to blow over, or waiting for this to um, finish up in whatever way that is to get back racing, get back to normal life. Yeah, I was going to say, I know that you, you always do your fair share of biking, but I feel like nowadays when there's literally nothing else to do, this is when you can kind of get out and just kind of, it's almost a sense of normalcy for you because you do it all the time, but now it's like you did it before it was trendy. Yeah, I know. I'm 
uh, ahead of the curve with the outdoor stuff a little bit, but <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's a little crowded out now a little bit on some of the hiking trails, but still it's it's good to get outside and um, at least in my life have something normal a little bit because like I said I was out mountain biking and out enjoying the outdoors like uh, my whole life really so um, obviously keeping up with that and like I said playing a lot of eye racing too that's been a saver too you, you definitely blow through some time on there I've had some fun races um, meeting with some people uh, some of my friends some meeting some new people on there racing so um, that's always been fun too where did you get this love for the outdoors and, and mountain biking? Because literally, when I, if you post an Instagram story or a Snapchat, I think it's of you mountain biking somewhere. And I know Arizona and the Scottsdale area where you are just has a, a ton of trails and just nature to go explore. Where did you get that love of mountain biking from? Um, I, I kind of just learned it myself. I mean, when we were younger, we used to, like, in the summers a lot, we'd go on road trips uh, before I was racing. Like, we'd leave our house with our motorhome. Um, and my mom, my dad, and my brother, and we'd leave our house with our mountain bikes and our dirt bikes in the back. Um, I would say about every June and go for about a month. And we, we didn't really even have a direction of where we were going. We kind of just went exploring, um, would ride our bikes around. Um, like one way we, one year we made it all the way to Montana. A couple of years we drove all the way to Indianapolis, um, kind of just explored. So it's always been a part of my life out in the desert because, um, our family's been big in off-road racing, too, um, my whole life, dating back to my grandpa when he was out racing the uh, Baja 1000 and all those off-road races towards the end of his career. So um, I've definitely just enjoyed the desert, enjoyed the, the outdoors, whether it's on a dirt bike, mountain bike, um, exploring some canyons or waterfalls or out in my um, UTV and, and the razors and all of that, even racing off-road. So um, that stuff is definitely fun and um, definitely a big part of my life i think it's helped my driving skills too. doing some of that off-road stuff you learn um, a little more skill um, just in a a different sense that you can um, take part of it over to the to the pavement you know just the whole car control and all of that are you in a car right now um i i am (laughs) i can hear the blinker Oh, sorry. We, we no, could, I don't care. It's uh, funny. This later, but no, no, no. It's uh, funny. I mean, if you I want to do another a, time, I was out on a mountain bike ride this morning, and I was with my friend, and I thought we'd finish up in time, but uh, we got a couple flat tires, and it took Ooh. a little longer than expected. No, that's good. Uh, if you want to do it another time, we can. No, I'm, you I'm just... good with you. Let's All right. whatever you want. Let's to roll. Do. We'll keep, we'll keep on rolling. So, um, even though that we've known each other for a couple of years now and, and have a good relationship. I still think it is so weird that you were born in 2002. Like there's like there's no 90s kids anymore. You're so young, but you're already moving on up and doing your thing. I just think it's ridiculous that we look at NASCAR nowadays, whether it's Arca East, Arca West, whatever. Uh, even some some truck drivers nowadays, they were born after the year 2000. I know that that probably means nothing to you because all your friends are around your age, but that is so weird to me. Yeah, for sure. It's um I mean, for me, it's normal. I mean, I, I was I was born after 9-11. I think a lot of people think that's, like, crazy to think, put that in perspective. Yeah, but so weird. Um, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, it's a new generation. So let's get to know you a little bit. I feel like people don't know enough about you. They know the name. 
Uh, they know that you have a good relationship with Jimmy Johnson. They know that you had a rivalry with Haley Deegan. They know that you won a race last year. But I feel like they don't know you. So, I mean, while you're driving, of course, give give the listeners the 411. What do you like to do besides mountain biking? What do you like to eat? How do you spend your free time? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, let's see. Where should I start this? I would say Whenever maybe Whatever you little, want. Um, I mean, I'm really just uh, – people see me as a – a race car driver they see me on social media but i think my daily life usually just consists of i go to a normal high school um i got a lot of high school friends um i i basically am trying to live my life like a normal kid in a sense that's what i think school brings me a lot of that normality um going to school five days a week and then going to the racetrack so i think that's definitely a big part of my life just being um, a normal high school kid having fun um, meeting friends and hanging out with my friends. And then, um, I, I don't know where else to take this, but, um, I'm, I'm definitely more on the quiet side. I don't know if people notice that too much, but I think I try to voice my personality as much as I can. I, um, sometimes I just like to keep things to myself. I'm definitely not the, the, the class clown of the field or the, the loud, obnoxious Noah Gragson type. I'm more of a little <laughs> laid back, more reserved, and then uh, try to prove everything on the track. So I think a little bit of the, the unknown character knowing about me um, kind of resorts to, to that trait a little bit where um, I'm not just out uh, being the most obnoxious character in the field in a sense. But I definitely try to uh, voice my my personality as much as possible through social media, through the track. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what about else? like food? What do you like food? to eat? What, what, what would your last meal guy. ever be? My last pot, my last meal ever would definitely be chicken pasta with like some penne pasta, either with some sort of like olive oil or red sauce. Hmm. That's like my go-to chicken um, parm. I, I don't eat, I don't eat dairy. Um, I'm allergic to Oof. it. So, uh, Did not know that. See, we're so, learning a lot about you. So no dairy for me. It, it my body does not like it. Um, unfortunately, are you are you, are you allergic to dairy? Are you yeah. lactose intolerant? Like what's I'm like official? super super allergic to like wow. to to dare all dairy and like whey protein, anything that has anything to do with the cow, except for like the meat itself. Um, I'm like really allergic to. So so is uh, that the same as being lactose intolerant or yeah, is being allergic is. different? Okay. It's, I think it's the same, but not to get into too much detail mine just my uh dairy doesn't make it to my stomach to to sum it up short so it's it's pretty severe so i definitely try to stay away from it so so you don't even so. like carry lactates around because i had friends growing up that would always carry it around lactates and i'd be like why are you eating ice cream they'd be like eh, it's fine whatever i'll just poop later um but you don't even carry them around because wow that seems pretty intense yeah i, I stay away from it it's not worth okay. it <laughs> I've learned the so, hard way. So chicken with some penne, uh, no cheese, so no chicken no parm. No cheese, yeah. Okay. People think so I'm no crazy when I, when I eat pizza with no cheese, but I, I honestly think it tastes just as good. Well, First, I, if it, I unpopular, ever saw you do that. Unpopular opinion, but. Um, <laughs> some people don't like pineapple on pizza. You go with no cheese. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Interesting. I can deal with the pineapple. I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's my first choice, but I'm not like a one of those full-on haters that think, 
people are like serial killers if they eat pineapple on pizza. No, I'm fine with it. So, so no cheese, no milk, no ice cream. Like, you have you ever had these foods? Like, when did you discover that you were allergic to? Yeah, when I was younger, I could eat a little bit. Like when I was a baby, like I didn't even, I couldn't even eat milk. Like I had to have like a special formula for it. For I I don't know exactly what it was, but it wasn't like traditional milk. Like um, most babies drink. I had to have like some special stuff, and then um, once I got like like was a young like when i was younger probably like five through like age eight or nine like i could eat some dairy stuff and then all of a sudden it just kind of slowly started getting worse and worse to the point where like i can't eat any of it now hmm. it's kind of a, a weird deal but it is but I, at least you're at least you're taking all the yeah. precautions now you're just staying away yeah for sure i mean what about i'm uh, not a huge what like you? cheese or, or milk fan in the first place like the yeah. taste of it like i can go without it it's just the inconvenience of it like you're at the racetrack and and they get pizza for dinner. You're like, damn, like that's, it's a lot of, it's a hassle sometimes. But other than that, it's not, not really the worst thing in the world. So like, are we deathly allergic? Are we talking deathly allergic? Like if it's in like a cake and you put milk in a cake, can you not have the cake? Or is it more so just like you can't have it in cereal? I, when you like, I think when you, I'm not, I'm no like scientist here, but I think when you burn uh, put something in the oven. I think it kind of like yeah. the content of it, like kind of goes away. Like yeah. I can eat like cookies so like that it, have milk in them. Yeah, like like if you cook it in in a dish or something like that. If it's not the main ingredient, if it's more so like an add-on, then that's okay. yeah, yeah, for sure. Because okay. I think I think the process of like baking or or cooking it like kind of like takes away the yeah the whole. I don't know what yeah. whatever the parts of it. I don't know either. I'm not to. a scientist. I'm yeah. not a scientist either, but I believe you. Yeah. Uh, what about your brother? Is he the same way? No, my brother's normal. <laughs> <laughs> Sucks for you. Well, he's he's normal in that way. To say yeah, that. that's the only way. Yeah. Um. Cool. All right. See, number one thing yeah. we learned about Jagger so far: allergic new. to dairy. Yeah. Um, let's talk about your background on track for a little bit, but before we talk about your grandpa and your dad. Who obviously have a rich history in the sport. Uh, like I said, and I'm I'm not blowing smoke here. I really do think Jagger Jones may be the coolest name in NASCAR, and it, it might honestly be on my Mount Rushmore. I mean, one that comes to mind for me because I actually have uh, a diecast of this driver in my room at home. Lake Speed, like Lake that's Speed. just a yeah, cool that's a, name. That's a, really that, cool that's a cool name. name. name too. Why yeah. is a wh- why why are you named Jagger? Like like what were your parents thinking when they're like, let's name him Jagger? So basically every single time I go to a restaurant or meet someone for the first time, they asked me if I was, if I was named after Mick, Mick Jagger, which right, right. yesterday when I was getting Chick-fil-A drive through um, during this whole quarantine deal, the guy's like, can I put your name in? It's Mick Jagger. And I'm like, sure. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> but uh, uh, so my parents swear that they, uh, they didn't name me after him. Like they didn't name him because they're a huge Rolling Stones fan or, or any of that. They, they just yeah. like the name. Um, just about everyone in my family has a J name except for my grandpa pretty much. So, um, so they wanted a J name. They liked the way it sounded. They thought they always say, if your last name's Jones, you got to have a cool first name at least. So, um, Mm -hmm. they, I don't, I don't know where they came across Jagger, but it's stuck in, I don't know. I I think it's a pretty cool name myself. Yeah. It's not like one of those deal where I'm like, I'm like, why did you name me this, mom? So, 
No, I think it's cool. I mean, yeah. even even your brother Jace is a, Jace is a pretty cool name. Yeah, I'm, I might have to get PJ on the show next week to ask him why he named you Jagger. Yeah. Why he named you that? <laughs> Maybe you'll get um, get an answer that I I haven't gotten yeah. yet. I don't know. Well, if you end up getting an answer, let me know because yeah. inquiring minds want to know. Yeah. Well, I think I think it's just simple as that. They like the cool J name Jagger. Yeah. Well, it is cool. I actually have a friend. Um, his last name is Sandler, and they named him Adam. So his name is Adam, spe- spelled the same way, everything, went to camp with them a few times. His name is literally Adam Sandler, and he's a graphic designer. And on all of social media, his handles is at not the famous one. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So, hey, at least you weren't named, uh, I don't know, what's a, I mean, Jones is a very generic last name. So yeah. at least you weren't like, you know, Seth Jones, like the most generic yeah. name ever. Jagger's got some character. Yes, it does. So Parnelli's a pretty cool name too. He obviously is your grandfather and won the Indy 500 in 1963. And your dad, PJ, that we just mentioned, drove a NASCAR cart and sports cars. I think I've asked you this question before in person, kind of just talking, but and it's a little bit of a, of a heavier one. But tell me a little bit about growing up always being compared to them because I know you personally don't compare yourself to them because we've talked about how, you know, you're blazing your own trail, but I'm sure when, when you're doing media interviews or you're at the track, you're saying, Oh, that's Parnelli's grandkid or oh, that's PJ's son or whatever. I mean, growing up always being linked to them in some sort of way on the track, other than being family members, like, was that hard for you? Was that easy for you? It seemed, I guess, I assume it was pretty normal for you. How did you kind of navigate that? Yeah, I mean, I think it kind of faded away as um, just to kind of start backwards or work my way backwards with the cool question. But I think it, the more I, I race, once I'm racing against guys like that have other family names, like just to come, first come to mind, like Harrison Burton, Todd Gillen, like mm-hmm. once you get up there, like a lot of people you're racing with have big, big names um, or at least. Uh, their their parents were racing in the cup series and, and a, a lot of other racing. So I think it's kind of like the double, double standard of it has kind of faded away. But I remember when I was back racing go-karts when I was uh, 10, 11 years old. And um, a lot of people would think like, oh, these people have all the money. They have all brand new motors. They have the best stuff. They're getting an unfair advantage. And that's what people would first assume out of us, which um, me being the driver and seeing all of our equipment and, in our whole program, I, I knew, I knew we didn't have anything special over anyone else. Um, so it kind of came a lot with that where people thought we, me and my brother were spoiled and we were, we just had everything handed to us, which, uh, definitely wasn't the case. Um, and I think a lot of people found that out pretty soon. Um, when we, when we first started racing. So, um, that was definitely a whole deal. Um, like, like you, but that's kind of faded away as, as time's gone on. Um, and I think the whole deal of com- I don't compare myself to my dad and my grandpa. Like when I was younger, I saw my dad race an IndyCar and some of his NASCAR races, but I didn't, um, I don't remember really much of those specific times. Like I don't remember going to the track and seeing my, my dad win, um, big races and trying to live up to that because I was too young. I don't remember that. So it's more of just, um, getting their support. My dad and my, both my dad and my grandpa have been a huge support in my career and, um, mm-hmm. helping me and uh, trying to put me in the best place possible. And um, it's definitely cool to, to continue their legacy. I, I wasn't forced into um, 
that's another question I get. Like, were you literally forced at gunpoint to, to be racing, to go racing? <laughs> Aggressive. And it was actually like, it was literally the opposite. My, my dad was like, eh, like, I, th- I think we should kind of stay away from it. I mean, I'm not opposed to like getting a go-kart and going out there and, uh, practicing, go and do some laps, keep, teach you, teach you some skills that'll help you. Like when, um, just so you're, you know what you're doing behind, get some motor, motor vehicle skills and right. all of that. My right. mom was completely against me doing any racing. She's like, no, that's, that's dangerous. I don't want my kids doing that. Cause, um, you know, the typical, um, mom viewpoint there. And, mm-hmm. um, but once I, uh, I think it was my sixth birthday, I got a go-kart and, um, like for two years, I kind of just messed around with it. We'd go out like once a month out to the track here, um, about 20 minutes from my house here in Phoenix. And then, um, I think I was nine when I turned nine, I got a, uh, what they call the cadet size go-kart. And, um, I know, I remember we went to go pick it up. We bought it from buddy rice and we, we were in California when we bought it we went out to the cow speed, which is like a, they got a pretty big, um, go-kart, um, yeah isn't it like the gopro of the west i guess yeah that's really what it is like a lot of guys like um that i even still race against now we used to grow up racing there um Mm -hmm. together it's kind of i've heard of it you said it perfectly it's the it's the gopro of the west Um, and so i went out there and they're having a big race and we went and picked up the go-kart and we went um and i saw those carts racing i saw all the kids racing i'm like that's what i want to do like i want to do this and from there it's kind of I think the next two in two weeks, once we got back home, we were signed up for the next race. And, um, since then I've pretty much fell in love with the sport and just racing in general. And, um, my mom's definitely turned her views. She's, she's happy that I'm, I'm doing something (laughs) I love. She's full support of, um, whatever I, whatever I'm doing. And if I have a passion for it, she's fully behind me. And she's been also a huge help just from driving me and taking me to my races when my dad, um, it's been busy and doing all that kind of doing his other racing and off-road mm-hmm. racing and all that. So it's, it's been cool to have the, the family support behind me. What was the moment where mom and or dad flipped the switch from, eh, I don't really know if you should be doing this or if we want you to be doing this to, all right, we're with you. We're supporting you. Let's do this. Like, what was the moment? I think, um, it, it was just once they realized that like, this is what I, it's what I want to do. Once they, once I was able to show them, like beg them to go take me out to go practice, um, four nights a week for the, the local race here that weekend, they're like, all right, this is what he wants to do. Then, then we're going to do it. So I think once they saw that, I, I don't remember the exact point, but I think, um, individually when they saw that they were fully behind me. Gotcha. That, that definitely makes sense. Yeah. And, and it sounds like, I mean, it's more so kind of like an unspoken thing of you blazing your own trail, so to speak, because like I mentioned before, and like we've talked about it in prior conversations, even though from the outside, people are always going to link you to Parnelli and your dad, PJ, you're always going to be your own person on and off the track. And it's not that you actively think of blazing your own trail. It's more so one of those unspoken things that you don't even think about maybe even subconsciously, because in your mind, it's just... It's just yourself going to race and that's all you're doing. You're not trying to carry on a family legacy or something like that. It's, it's more so like, uh, this is what I want to do. So I'm going to go do it. Yeah, that's ex- exactly. And like I'm racing the, I'm going the whole NASCAR path from, a. I, I know my dad and my grandpa even ran switched over a little bit and ran some 
NASCAR races at the end of their careers, mm-hmm. but right. they grew up, my grandpa grew up racing on, I would say what's equivalent to midgets and sprint cars and, and all of that, which took him directly to the indie indie route um, to mm-hmm. begin with. And my dad was the same way. He grew up racing midgets, sprint cars um, for years and years, and then eventually got in a sports car. And I, I would say I'm literally going a complete different path than, path, <laughs> path than that, um, running the local short track NASCAR stuff. Uh, yep, full body ran, stock cars. Yeah, full body stock cars. My my dad never even. Um, I don't even know if he ever drove any um, too much of any NASCAR stuff until he was much older. And um, same with my grandpa. So um, I'm definitely going a different direction. I'm not just uh, only doing this to carry out their legacy. I want to make a career for myself and a name for myself for sure. But at the same time, I know your Twitter bio says third generation racer. So it's not that you're ignoring that heritage because you're obviously proud of that. And it's it's one of those things where it's, it's not every race car driver has a dad that competed in all these different forms of racing and that whose grandpa is frankly a legend in the open wheel side of things and is in a prestigious club of winning the Indianapolis 500. So you're obviously always going to be proud of the fact that you are a Jones and you're a third generation racer. Yeah, for sure. I, I completely agree with that. I think um, it's I don't think there's there's no way in the world you could be ashamed of it. I mean, you have to be proud of it. And I, I definitely 100%. am. So I think that's a lot of off, I think off track stuff. Um, just trying to I naturally I feel like if I'm doing what I want to do and I'm going out there and doing my best I can on the track um, and going out trying to win races, be the best driver and doing what I, I want to go do, I think I'll naturally carry that legacy on. And um, I think that's kind of the way. I I, th- I don't really I don't th- really think of it like that, but I think um, looking big picture, I think that's um, mm-hmm. that's really the best I can do is try to go out and win races and try to position yeah. myself best for my career and um, become the best race car driver I can be, and that'll naturally carry on my legacy. And um, like I said, having my grandpa and my dad helping me do that is also huge. And I think just naturally that that just kind of carries the legacy itself. There both working to help me in, in my career. So they're um, helping me carry on their legacy even. No doubt. Um, I know this is probably a question for Jace, but were, were your parents kind of having the same visceral reaction when Jace wanted to also go about the racing route or were they more so like, ah, we kind of saw this coming? <laughs> yeah, I think we both started racing at the same time because, I mean, mm-hmm. when, when your brother's out there driving – um, and doing something fun like that, um, as a brother, he looks up to me and looks, I I'm speaking for him, but I think he looks up to me in some sense in that way, especially when he was younger, like, Oh, <laughs> yeah, my brother's doing you. this. I want to, I'm not going to sit around here and watch. I, I want to do this. Yeah. This looks fun. Like, yeah. uh, but I, he's obviously fell in love with racing and all that himself. So in, in his own way. So, but I think it all, all kind of started with, um, maybe a, a little bit more me. He was a lot, he's, I think he's two and a half years younger than me. So, um, mm-hmm. when he's, when I was, he was probably six when he, when I first started racing and he first started racing at, at the same time, he was, um, into it just like me. Just want to be like big bro. Yeah. So let's stay in your younger years. We, we mentioned that Scottsdale is home. Uh, you, you talked about what it's been like kind of growing up and what it's like now, basically just being a, a typical high schooler. And now you're, 
being schooled online at home, which is weird. But let's go also to your younger years. You began in go-karts in the U.S. and in Europe. I found that really interesting because you hear about a lot of guys and girls that get started on the go-kart level in the States, but it's only in the States. Where the hell did you go in Europe? That must have been really cool for a young kid. Yeah, so um, when I so I was racing fully around the U.S. from all the way to Indianapolis, um, all the way to the Midwest, all the way to the full West Coast, and I won when I was I think I was I was twelve. It was um, two thousand fourteen. I went and won the like the national the Scusa Pro Tour National Championship at the time. Um, so I, when I won that, they awarded me, a um, a scholarship deal to go run in Europe for these three races. So in 2015, I stayed racing in the U S uh, for the most part. And then I went and did those three races representing the USA in the series called, uh, the karting trophy Academy, um, where they like gather one or two kids from like, I think 50 something countries around the, the world and they bring them all to Europe. And they, and they basically supply wow. the go-karts. Um, they supply the motors. So it's a, it's a fairly spec deal. Like you can adjust some, some things on the go-kart, but not like we normally would um, here in the USA where you're racing against like different, different types of go-karts, like different brands and manufacturers. So it sounds like almost like go-kart IROC. Yeah, it, it kind of was in a sense, but um, no, literally, it, it's definitely really comparable to that. Um, so I went and did that and I, I ran, I did pretty decent the first year. Um, I don't, I, I think I'd finished like 15th or something in points. Um, I, we had some tough races. I mean, it's definitely a learning curve going over there, racing against some of the, the best kids in the world. And then no doubt. the next year they asked me to, to go back and do it again. Um, and I, I was fully on board with that. So I did that three race deal over there re- representing the USA. I had a couple top five finishes. And then I went, also went um, and did some other races in Europe um, while I was there because it was just convenient and um, yeah, it was good not? for me yeah, to race against those guys. And um, I, I definitely learned how to drive in the rain over there. It's they, <laughs> Those kids over there know how to drive in the rain. And I think a lot of the competition level that I raced against over there is almost probably some of the hardest competition I've ever raced in anything in my career just because um, – wow that's like baseball for those kids. Some of those kids over there, you know, they go practice every day after school. Um, it's more of a recognized cardings a more recognized sport even over there. So there's a lot of lot deeper competition. There's a lot of kids that that's what they spend their whole childhood doing. And, um, so, so that was super cool to, to go do. And just the whole experience of it was cool. Um, definitely gave me a different perspective and, uh, made it, made me a better driver. So when I came back to the U S I was, um, definitely, uh, had, I would say a little advantage on some of those other kids, just with all the experience I was getting over racing in Europe. And, um, then, so then the, the year I was racing in Europe and the U S I also started racing some legend car stuff. And that's really when I fell in, in love with the whole, the whole oval racing. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, if you can remember back, I'm curious, was there one guy in Europe on the karting scene that was heads heads and shoulders above everybody else that everybody was chasing. And you just remember him as like, that was the guy to beat. And also 
were you competing against any drivers that we may know now as big names, whether it's in the open wheel scene or the NASCAR scene? Like, would we know any of the names that you were competing with? Oh, for sure. Over in Europe, I, I was racing against, um, I, I, I don't know, uh, Jack Dewan. He's a Red Bull driver. We raced a lot against each other in the U.S. and over in Europe. Some of the times he's uh, like on road, on, uh, I think he's Red Bull junior team now. And a bunch of other other kids that I race against are um, fully Red Bull Junior team, like headed towards Formula One. So that's pretty cool. Um, I race against kids that, like my one of my friends Brock Feeney. He's racing like I don't. I'm not super familiar with the whole uh, V8 Supercars like up and coming series, but he's running like the second highest series over in Australia, um, headed towards V8 Supercars. Um, I'm trying to think. I race against yeah some some kids even that are racing ARCA and K&N now that I raced in the U S and oh, really? all over when I was younger racing go-karts like Sam well, Mayer. Who are some mean, of those drivers? Sam, me and Sam Mayer okay, have been yeah. racing each other since we were like 10, 11 years old. Um, like the East we would because he was obviously on the east coast and i was west coast and then um we when the east and west coast would merge i was thinking also like i used to colton Herta used to coach me a little bit when we were growing up racing go-karts and now he's winning indycar races so that's pretty cool um it's just wow. a lot of a lot more kids that i think most people realize came from that type of background racing go-karts whether they stuck with it till they were like 14 15 years old or they just did it when they were a lot younger. So it's definitely, right. I would say, the, the place to start your career. I mean, a lot of... It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's cool because, you know, you make friends with those kids and then they go on to, to race all sorts of disciplines in different countries, different places, different cars, and um, it kind of all links back to the same place. So fast forward a few years to 2018, you wind up getting some starts with Junior Motorsports in a late model at Myrtle Beach. Can you tell me how you wind up winning in your first start? Like, how, how does that even happen? Yeah. Can you fathom that that even happened? Like, what do you remember about that day? Yeah, it was a crazy day. I mean, so we went and tested at, um, I wouldn't fit, fit it in the car um, like early in the morning one day. And I think either the next day or that afternoon we went and, and uh, tested out at Hickory. And um, we, I thought I was pretty comfortable in the car. It was similar to the late models. I was um, driving back over here on the West coast. Uh, I would say the biggest difference was really the tires. Cause they were running a slick tire and we were running a treaded tire out on the West coast. So it wasn't too much of a learning curve. Um, I felt pretty comfortable okay. right away. And I had Josh Berry coaching me through um, mm -hmm. a lot of it. Cause he has a lot of experience driving a lot of, one of the best different yeah. things too. So he, he kind of could help me with a little bit of the transition. What, what like a typical late model on the West coast would feel differently to like a late model stock. They run, um, in the cars tour and all, and all those East coast ra uh, races at all those local tracks. And, um, so we felt good at Hickory. And then the next day we went down to Myrtle beach to go, um, practice that I think it was probably Friday, Friday night before the race. And just right away, I felt, pretty comfortable at that track and our times were like super good we were fast um and we were like pretty surprised with with how quickly we we got up to speed and the car was 
pretty on point right away. And I don't, I remember like we didn't make too many changes to the car at all. Like um, I kind of just adjusted my driving um, throughout the weekend of practice. And then I think I qualified third that day and it was actually a, a double header race like that night. Like there was twin, I think twin 50 lap races. The first one I ended up getting mm-hmm. wrecked and, and it broke the wheel. So um, I had a flat tire and I didn't even finish the first race. So um, the <laughs> second race, I literally started dead last. Um, and it was a pretty big field, I think 26, 27 cars. And I, I just started mowing through them pretty quickly. I got like 10 cars on the first lap, like something ridiculous where um, I kind of, wow. some of them kind of just ran into each other, moved up the track. Um, I got a super good, like first five laps and I was already in the top 10 and I just started picking them off one by one. And uh, we just had a ton of speed. I, I remember we literally had to put a whole new nose, whole new hood on the car from the first race. We didn't even know if we were going to get the car back on track, but it, um, it was basically mm-hmm. all cosmetic damage. We didn't hurt any of the, anything important on the car and it right. felt good as new. We went back out there the next race and um, just mowed through them all and I remember like 10 Jeez. to go, I passed the leader. Like he was standing still. Like it was crazy how much um, speed we had, especially once it got darker that night. Um, even the first race, we were super fast. I think we were running second or third and we just got ran into from behind. And like, like the guy ran, I don't, it was a long time ago. I think um, the guy kind of just dove dive on me and I, I didn't have just kind of adjusting to a, a different spotter. Um, I didn't realize right. he was inside of me and, it was kind of just a racing deal from what I remember. And I think another car ended up hitting me when I was like half spun out in the corner and tore the nose off of it. So, um, it was cool. I'm, if you look at the pictures, I have like a white hood with some random sponsor logo on it. Cause we found, um, someone (laughs) on a, it was actually like a, I don't know what they call them out there, but it was basically like a spec late model hood. And we had to like drill new holes and it barely fit on, but we, some duct tape, we got it out there and, ended up in victory lane it's pretty cool night do what you got to do right wow okay so now i'm curious um like in the moment were you thinking to yourself oh wow this car is really good or were you thinking like wow i can really do this or and then when you wound up passing the leader with 10 to go you're like holy shit i'm actually gonna win this race like what was going through your mind it's your first it's your first start yeah it, it was pretty um uh surreal at the moment i mean i didn't I had expectations. Like I, I knew it was a chance to win when I was starting third. Like I knew we had a good car, like, like a typical, like you're starting third. We got a good car. We got a good chance. Just kind of take it easy at the beginning. Like we got two races tonight. And then, so I, I thought I wasn't like, wouldn't have been too shocked if we went and won, out and won the first race. But the second one, it was like, I'm starting 27th. Let's just try to salvage whatever we can, like go up there get, try to get a top 10. I we got speed. It's just, um, kind of been a, a rough night. And then, I was in 10th on like the fifth lap and, um, <laughs> and I was just like, Oh my gosh, like we're, we're going to win this race. This is like, wow, like we got the speed. Let's, let's do it. Might as well. What did Dale, did Dale Jr. Say anything afterwards to you? Yeah. He, um, I, I believe he, uh, tweeted something and congratulated me. And then after I ended up running the, the first, the, all of the three races, I think either, he, we had a little text convo back and forth, just kind of, I was just kind of thanking him for uh, providing me like a good place to go race in my career. And maybe our paths will cross again one day. You never know. 
Yeah, very cordial, yep. very cool. It must have been nice to uh, nice to race for Dale yeah, Jr. That's pretty cool. sweet. And and I think also that year you won the track championship at Kern County. Is that right? Yes, I did the same year. I think I I won like about half the races there that year. We were just mm-hmm. um, yeah. we got the car dialed, and it seemed like we would do like ten laps of practice every every weekend. We wouldn't even touch the car, and we just um, we we still had good competition there. Like Blaine Perkins was racing there that year, and Trevor, and um, I I think Lawless was racing there. Some of those races that year, so it was definitely a pretty stacked field, but. Um, a lot of those races, but we just had the car so dialed and, um, I, I really felt comfortable at that track. And, um, I, I think we just pulled away in the championship and, and won that year. And we also went and won some races at Irwindale and, um, it was definitely a fun year getting, getting some wins in the late models. So would you say Kern is your favorite track or would you maybe give that to Roseville considering it was the site of your first K and N win? No, I, I wouldn't say I like I liked Roseville, but it wouldn't it wouldn't be my favorite track. Um, it's a little like it it doesn't feel super natural when you're driving like Roseville. Like like every time you like go through turn one, you're like, oh damn, like I could have done that better. Um, it's one of those type of tracks, but um, hmm. it's a little. I, I didn't have a ton of laps there, but it just kind of felt a little like it's pretty bumpy and awkward, and um, I yeah, like, I didn't feel super comfortable there, and I even though we went went out and won. Um, I wasn't like feeling like I can drive this with my eyes closed type of tracks. Um, right. But it was definitely a fun track. I would say my, f- I like Kern a lot in the late model, but we struggled very bad there in the K and N car. And it, it definitely took out a little bit of the love for the place. I mean, I think, I still think it's a great track, but um, we, we actually ended up second there. Um, but still it was probably one of our toughest weekends we had all year out at Kern and um, it's it's definitely hard to to race there in the K&N car um, compared to a late model a little bit but I would say my favorite track we went to was probably Colorado Um, I liked how the groove opened up if you watch that race I was kind of making the I wouldn't say high side but the middle groove work where a lot yeah. of people were I, I, didn't they put uh didn't they put traction yeah, they compound did. down and, for that weekend that was like the yeah. first race after the repave i i never ran it before, that's right for the repave so I, I can't compare it but um i personally like i thought you could run the bottom super well you could run the, the middle groove you could even run three wide for a lot of laps and it was it had a bunch of character still even with the repave um they they left a lot of the character in, in it and it, i would say that was probably my favorite track we went to all year cool good to i'd know. like to go race there There's... again to be honest <laughs> Yeah, I think a lot of people would. Yeah. Um, and if we remember who won that race, Haley Deegan won at Colorado. So here we go. We're jumping into it. We're bringing up. We're bringing up a bad memory. Let's talk about Vegas. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Well, I, I mean, we talked about it too. It didn't take you long to get over it. Yeah. Um, and for those of you that aren't really familiar, basically what happened was Jagger's first ever K and N start uh, in what was then known as the K and N Pro Series West for Sunrise Ford and Bob Rincotti in the six car. He's leading the race. He's dominating the race on the Vegas dirt track. I know nothing about this kid. I just see that he's like scrawny and tall. I'm like, okay, whatever. And he's he's killing him in this race. I'm like, wow, this this kid must be pretty good. Has he ever raced on dirt? No. First race on a dirt track and he's he's whooping the field. Oh my gosh. So he's he's dominating. And you guys have obviously all seen the last lap by now. Um so my question to you is 
when you look back on it now, and even when you're going to look back on it five, 10 years down the road, what are you going to remember more? Are you going to remember Haley being the one that won the race? Or are you going to remember Kenny freaking Bombera getting in the way? Because I am going to remember Kenny Bombera getting in the way. Yeah, there was, it wasn't even just him. Like there was three lap cars where I lost like seconds of time. And it, it was like such a single groove racetrack there at the end of the race. Like it was, it was like, yeah if you didn't get a good run off the corner and somehow get inside of them, like I remember it, it took me like 60 laps to pass. Uh, I think it was Derek for the lead. So like passing Jeez. a lap car was even tough, even how much slower they were. Um, yeah. And it was kind of just, I had to follow them through corners and I was just losing seconds and seconds. Um, Cause when you're the leader, they don't want to give you too much room, um, I guess. And then once you, they get to second, they're like, Oh, I already got laps. Like let's, let's just let this car by like I'm already on the outside. So, so I lost a ton of time. I didn't, my spotter, like I couldn't hear him. I literally lost basically all connection with my spotter and the mirrors. Like I couldn't see out of the mirrors. They were like full of dust and dirt. Like the back window, the back window was like so dusty. I, I literally was just kind of free, free going free for all there. No spotter. I didn't have too many, (laughs) I could see out of the inside mirror a little bit, I remember, but that the top one was like, like just all dust. And so I lost a ton of time through that. I, I remember I, I knew I had a huge lead because um, we, we definitely laid some laps down there with like 20 or 30 to go. And um, I, I didn't really know that Haley was even coming. I kind of thought um, I was good. And then I realized I could, with like five laps to go, I could tell she was somewhat close. And um, I, I thought if I just, kind of parked it in the center of the corners a little bit she couldn't um do anything i, I mean i if she wanted to try the outside then i was all for that i knew that wouldn't work um i thought the only way is if she got to the inside of me so i was going to be super protected of that um i kind of di- went into diamond the quarter and i didn't think the lap car was going to come down he, he looked like he was giving me room and then all of a sudden he goes to the bottom like he's driving a normal line Oh, geez. and when i hit him um it just pushed me up the track because on that dirt mm-hmm. on the dirt you just when you get hit a little bit you just completely lose all of your grip and it just slid me up the track and Haley was able to get inside yeah. of me um and then i did i was on the outside then and i didn't get a good enough run off of two to make any move back in three and four so um it was definitely a a tough night but i mean it, it could have been worse like i i still ended up second in my first canon race i i'm definitely yeah. wasn't too happy with that finish at all um but I, I could I, tell I, on your face because, like I said, I had, bad. especially when you when it like it's flashes before your eyes, like you get the white flag, you think oh, you're yeah. like a win, and then no that's doubt. even worse. Like if I would have passed, like came through the field and passed and came up and finished second, it would have been like a, a solid finish. But just the way of of losing it after yeah. you 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 think you have it in the bag, and um, I'm the def I'm definitely not one. To, I wasn't celebrating too early. Like I I seriously was like struggling to get around those lap cars. I think. Um, Haley might've had a little bit more speed, but if it wasn't for a couple of those lap cars that held me up, so literally seconds, then, um, oh, no it, it would have been a, a Jagger Jones show, but, um, that didn't, <laughs> that didn't last too long, but you it know, did you gotta... not. well, I remember too, because that, that weekend was the first time that we met and I didn't really know a lot about you. Um, but I, I think, and I'm not blowing smoke here, but I think it smoke vol- spoke volumes, uh, that when you got out of the car, I mean, you were you were devastated, no doubt, but I mean, you know, relative considering the situation, um, that it was it was a borderline historical race for Haley winning on the dirt track, her second ever win, your first ever start, 
the way that you lost that race, it, it being somewhat out of your control, I think the way that you handled yourself uh, spoke volumes about you, and I think you did it really well. The lasting image that I will have of you, though, besides you celebrating after your win in Roseville, is I remember, again, like, I'm, I'm a big relationship guy, so I, I think you get the best content out of people when you have close relationships with people. And I remember I didn't really know you, and I, I had to come over to interview you, and the second you got out of your car... It was before your team members could come over to you and kind of say, hey, man, like, good job. No worries. Shit happens, whatever. You took off your helmet. Um, you put your head in your hands. You, like, ruffled your hair, and you just, like, sank. You literally just, like, sank on the driver's side door. I was like, oh, my God, this kid. Like, how do I even – how do I even – what do I say? What do I ask him? Do I give him – I was like, oh, my God, I feel so bad for him, but – I'm telling you, the way you handled yourself there, I think it, it, it said a lot. And you, given the circumstances, like that, that was a tough spot to be in. Yeah, it definitely was. I mean, I was definitely not not happy with that finish at all, to say the least. No. And, um, no. I, don't, I don't really remember too much after the race. I just remember like yeah. um, being pretty devastated that, that I, yeah. I, like, I was so close to getting that the literally winning my first race, uh, like in the K and N car. That was, I think I went and tested once before in a in a K and N car. Like that was literally my second time ever driving the car. Um, and it was your first yeah, race on dirt, right? It was my right? first t- race on a, a dirt oval, like Jeez. at all. Um, so it it's crazy. It was a it was definitely a learning experience. But I think a lot of people were, are. I mean, the only other place people had experience really were from the year before and. Um, it, it was kind of a new deal for everyone, so it, it was a pretty even uh, playing field, I would say, with on the experience level. So yeah, um, it it was cool to be able to sh- to shine and show my talent there in my first race and um, almost get the win, I guess. If you can bring any positives uh, out of it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure you did. Uh, you gained a lot of experience. I'm. I'm looking at my recorder here. We just passed the 48-minute mark, so I think it's time to bring up Mr. 48, Jimmy Johnson. So people may know that you are actually pretty good friends with Jimmy Johnson, or as I call him, the GOAT. The GOAT. How, I agree. Like, how did... Yeah, I mean, obviously you agree. How did How did that happen? Like, how was a 17-year-old kid from Arizona really good friends with the greatest stock car driver of all time? How does that happen? So... It, it really goes to my him and my dad being friends. I mean, their first, both their rookie seasons in, um, in the Xfinity series. Now I, I think it was the Bush series then was yeah, um, they were like that they was were what, both two, in the same two thousand one two thousand maybe. I think it was oh one. It was either two thousand or yeah. one because his rookie season and cup was up. So they they were like good friends um, back then, and they've kind of stayed in touch throughout all these years and I think they were even friends a little bit before that um I don't I don't know exactly when when they first were friends but they mm-hmm. um like Jimmy was was at my parents wedding and so they they've known each other well and then once Jimmy found out me and my brother were racing he was like like you know like I want to help Jagger and and like call me and and we'll uh see what we can do like see I want to help him kind of like he's kind of mentioned a little bit like Jeff was one one person in his career that like really stood out and helped him bring him and really become like who he is today. And I think he wants to kind of speaking for him. I, he's talked about this in a couple articles and stuff, but he kind of wants to 
um, give back in a, in a similar way in similar fashion. Yeah. So, um, I've seen the same yeah, stuff. It's, it's super cool to have Jimmy support. Um, obviously, like you said, my opinion, the goat, um, seven time champion. So, um, it's, it's super yep. cool out of anyone to have Jimmy helping me. And he, he really is like hands-on, like, um, mentoring me, like showing me and meeting to showing me around, meeting me, introducing me to people. There, there's what the word I was looking for, introducing me to people <laughs> and, um, kind of just, just helping position my career and, um, with, with whatever we need. So it's super cool to have that and have that relationship with him. And, um, definitely something I don't take for granted, something that, um, I'm super thankful for and thankful to him for helping me. So some people, when they have a a close relationship with, with a celebrity or, or a famous person, whatever, they'll have one of those things where they say, Oh yeah, well, you know, people see him as Jimmy Johnson, but, I just see him as the the Jimmy that's always helped me out. Are you kind of in that mindset of stuff or was there a point or are you still at that point where you kind of get starstruck and you're like, Oh my God, this is Jimmy Johnson. Um, I think it's, it's a little bit of both. I mean, I, like okay. I didn't grow up like, ha- like being around Jimmy Johnson, you know, like um, obviously my dad Fair. and him have been, we're friends like before I was born. I mean, um, and even so, when I was a lot younger. So it's not like he grew up, like he was like my uncle, you know, like he was a typical guy. Like I remember every time I'd go out to a NASCAR race, we'd go and talk and meet with him, but it was still like, that's Jimmy Johnson, you know? So I think a little of that stays, but now like he's someone I can call and talk to comfortably and um, like personally with my career and, and all of that. And he's someone that I can easily talk to and he'll give me advice on things. And, um, but there's definitely, a, I mean, he still is Jimmy Johnson, you know? It's it's crazy. It's it's literally the goat. Yep. All right, give us an inside scoop. Is he gonna postpone his retirement because of coronavirus or what? I, I wish I knew the answer myself. I mean <laughs> I wouldn't um if I was in the his similar position, I mean I wouldn't um I mean I I don't think that's a uh it's definitely a question. I mean, we don't even know when we're gonna be racing again. So I think yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I honestly haven't heard anything. I have no inside news on you for that, but I think no, I, it's definitely just, a, a possibility. Train, just kind of, kind of, just given my theory. I don't know. <laughs> no, I got gotcha. you. Um, so he's one legend that you've worked pretty closely with and continued to have a relationship with. Another one is somebody who the NASCAR world may not be too familiar with, but if you're a racing fan, you know all about the Snake. Don Prudhomme, you completed the Nora 1000 with him, I believe last year. So for, for like a novice who knows next to nothing about it, can you tell us about what that race is, the Nora 1000, what it is, what it was like, and tell us a little bit about the snake. Um, he's also another arguable goat in his racing discipline. Yeah. So, so backstory, like, so two years ago I went and did the Nora 1000. It was my first off-road race. It's a, I think they call it the Nora one, the Mexican one thousand or the Nora one thousand. Um, you start in Ensenada, you go all the way to Cabo. It's a little over a thousand miles. Um, they they do it in, kind of in a, a rally style race where you do stages. So you like it's five day race where you like stay in hotels, or camp overnight, and then you drive during the day like from point A to point B, and they combine all those right. those stage 
stage uh, times together for like an overall. So two years ago, me and my brother did it together. We switched off um, driving. So we, we did about half the driving. And that year we had a gearbox failure. I mean, with off-road, it's a, it's a marathon before it's a race. You know, you got to get to the finishes, half your, your struggle, just um, get in the car to go. 1200 miles about so and my dad um built on a car and he went and raced that year and he tried to do the whole thing by himself um he's no offense to him but he's he's an older guy he's i think he's 78 years old now so he was like and he looks every bit of yeah he was 70 (laughs) 77 and he he was planning on doing the whole race himself but he um had some other guys fill in some of the stages and um, he said it really just wore him out. He didn't know if he could do it again. And um, over the the winter when my dad's like, come on, you got it. Like, we were all encouraging, like, you can do this again. Like, let's go do it. And we pitched the idea, like, let's throw you and Jagger. We'll split the driving. Like, whenever you you don't want to drive, you're too tired. You'll sit in the back of the motorhome in the RV, go down the highway, and we'll put Jagger in the car. So um, I, <laughs> I end up driving, driving about, I would say, two-thirds of the race. Don drove still a good portion of it for sure i would say like near 500 600 miles which is um definitely a some long days in the seat but um it was super cool i mean don perdome the snake um definitely a huge legacy legacy in uh in drag racing and um definitely i would say up there and some of the greatest all-time drag racers uh, in his day and it's cool that he's Cause he's helping me by doing that as well. Like giving me a place to, mm-hmm. to race a car to drive. And, um, I mean, we're, we're, we're planning on doing going and doing it again this year. The race was supposed to be, I think it was supposed to be like this or next week, but they postponed it to, to October now. So, um, we actually, yeah. he built up, he built a brand new car for this year. So we're, we're coming back swinging for, um, round two between me and, there we go. Me and the snake. So, um, hopefully we'll be able to go do that in October and um, it's kind of a little unknown with all of schedules and everything right now. So we're, um, so we're uh, kind of figuring that out, but we got a card mm-hmm. being built right now and looking forward to that and should be, should be fun. He's, he's a super cool guy. I mean, he, he texts me all the time, sending me pictures of the car being built and um, definitely someone that I can call to for, for some advice and and you know and just he's honestly like a friend to me he's a super yeah. cool super cool guy that i'm i'm thankful that our craft our paths paths crossed and uh we were able to go and race together can we um get some merch can you just like make a shirt and all it says on it is jagger and the snake like can we just get a shirt that says that because that'd think be those super cool sell. I'll take uh, I'll take like one percent one percent of the profit for the idea. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. Yep. All right, a few more for you. I know we're getting long, so we can keep the answers quick because I want to be conscious of your time. Tell me the significance of the number ninety-eight for you, because I believe you were eighty-eight in late models with JRM. You ran the number six with Sunrise Ford and K and N. But 98, I know, is significant to you. Yeah, I mean, it's my, going back to my family legacy, I, that was my grandpa's number when he went and won the Indy 500. And um, I think 
that that's like his go-to number now because it just had such a significance in his career when he yeah he was he was running in um i mean i think when you win the indy 500 that number will kind of sticks with you and holds a place in your yeah. your legacy and um kind of your your i don't and kind of your heart you know you you that's your number that's your go-to yeah. number and um that's you got to drive one of his old cars at Gateway yeah, last did. year with the what was it the festival of speed or something yeah, like it was, that that uh, was cool vintage the vintage series that kind of travels around and, right, and right, does right, some right, of those right. so i drove one of his it was it was actually a replica of one of his old um tunes like the same one he won the indy 500 with so it was cool to just like, experience cool. like kind of a sense of what what he did back in the day i mean obviously it was a lot more dangerous back then i mean open face helmet yeah no roll cage um i don't know you he says that you like starting the indy 500 three wide you look to your left you'd look to your right and and then look down and one between you and those other two guys one of them probably wouldn't be alive by the end of that season so um definitely jesus i know it's pretty it's times have changed so that's for that's sure heavy. yeah i know it is <laughs> my god yeah so times have definitely changed and um it was it was just cool to experience that and um just kind of just sit in something like he did back i don't know what is it like 60 years ago so long time yep. ago <laughs> um that's that, wow that's that's that, that speaks volumes what are the short-term goals for you in terms of stock car racing i know they're kind of on pause now with coronavirus um but what what are the short-term goals for you and then the end game in terms of some long longer term goals is it kind of the thing that everybody else in stock car racing shoots for, which is to be a, a viable contender for race wins and championships in the cup series. Yeah, I would say for sure. That's long-term goal. Um, short term goal is uh, just trying to put a good, good schedule together where I can go and, and be in the best position for my career, whether that's, it's, it's a little uncertain right now, but we're really, this year we were shooting to get some ARCA, more ARCA races in cause I'm still 17 until uh, end of the summer this year. So kind of mm-hmm. in my level my age my experience it kind of makes the most sense right now um to do that so obviously this corona virus ordeal has put all the racing on pause i think a lot of the sponsorship hunting and all that is kind of on pause because a lot of companies are pretty mm-hmm. uncertain yeah. with their times right now so that that definitely hasn't helped but um you know we just gotta kind of fight through some of these some of these challenges and hopefully get some races in this year if honestly if, if they even happen who knows so um yeah. i'm no i'm no expert uh on any of yeah. this stuff but we've learned that in the last hour you're no expert yeah on this whole corona um ordeal but uh hopefully we'll get back racing are- get back to normal soon and we can start working on some stuff what about before Corona? I know 2020, you didn't have anything super set in stone concrete, but I know you had been working on some deals, trying to secure some stuff. I mean, um, and I know as soon as everything kind of starts back up and gets back to somewhat uh, normalcy that you'll be working hard too. But did you have any irons in the fire? Can we expect to see you at the racetrack in a NASCAR event sometime this year, hopefully? Um, it, it really just comes down to, I hate to say it, but it really does just come down to finding the money finding someone's got to put it in whether it's a team owner car owner sponsor um, your parents one of the someone's got to pay for it so um it's it's definitely a little uncertain with that just trying to 
uh, get everything lined into place. I mean, uh, we've had a couple of things like close and then um, just trying to close them out it has been a little difficult, but, and then it kind of came yeah. to a halt with all this whole, whole deal. So um, we're working on some stuff right now, but I, I really don't have too much else to say on that. I mean, for 100% the goal is to, to get racing in some ARCA races this year. Um, and I think uh, if, if they, if by summer, if they kind of go back to normal, I think that's definitely um, possible for me to me, definitely a, uh, doable goal for us so um, that's the goal and hopefully we'll be back doing some some racing this year we'll keep up the good fight looking for some sponsors um, keep up the bike ride and stay fit yep. keep talking to Jimmy get some advice if he wants to throw in some sponsors for you don't say no that's for um, sure <laughs> don't do don't do any more podcast interviews while driving though because that's unsafe we're glad that you got home in one oh. piece don't worry i was only driving for a minute but um and I, I think we made it home safe so and made the podcast safe and staying staying our quarantine bit <laughs> six feet apart yeah so that's right well jagger this has been fun thank you for taking a little over an hour here to chat with me i uh I hope that the listeners got a newfound appreciation for you because, like I said, I feel like people don't know the real Jagger Jones. So there you have it. Call him Jagger, call him Jagger, whatever you want. But thank you. I, I do appreciate you taking the time, and I hope that uh, you and yours are staying safe and healthy. Yes, well, thanks for having me on. It was a, a pleasure, and it was fun. So um, thank you, and thank you for all the listeners. If you guys want to keep up with me and what I'm doing, just you guys can follow me. It's yeah. Plug your stuff. It's plug pretty your easy. Stuff. Let's go. Well, my Instagram name's hard to say, but it, it looks cool. It's J six G G E R. And then just look me up on Twitter. You'll find me. It's in this day and age. It's not too hard. And, um, he's got the blue check mark on the yeah, ground. I do. That's all the, that's all what the high school kids care about. They don't care that I'm racing. They just care that I'm verified on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, Oh wow. He's got the blue yeah. check mark. He's in the, he's at the popular uh -huh. table today. That's how it goes these days. All right, well, um, if if you have any connects that can hit me up with a blue check mark, either on Twitter or Instagram, let me know. I, if you have any for Twitter, let me know too. Maybe we'll we'll both get it. So, um, <laughs> no, but in all, all in all seriousness, thanks for having me on, Davey. It was it was fun. Good deal, man. All right, we'll talk to you soon. All right, thank you. And we're back. Told you guys that you would find out some cool stuff about Jagger Jones, right? Well. I hope you enjoyed it. If you liked what you heard, please do me a favor. Leave me a rating and a review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcast. We are most likely there on your platform of choice. Let's dive right into it. Not going to sugarcoat it. This Kyle Larson situation is very, very disappointing, disheartening, unsettling, worrisome, uh, sad. It's just really unfortunate. So I'm going to give you guys the timeline of events. Late Sunday night, Kyle Larson's on an iRacing stream called Monza Madness, which was organized by Landon Castle. And I think one of the highlights of it was that Alan Bestwick, yes, the Alan Bestwick, was going to be calling the race for Podium Esports, I believe. So he's on, he's racing, and on his Twitch stream or somebody else's Twitch stream, I'm not exactly sure, he was trying to get in contact and communication with his spotter, I believe, and he says, you can't hear me. 
Um, and then he utters the N word. He's trying to get his attention. She says, Hey, mm. so I'm not going to put the audio in there. It's just, I mean, everybody's probably heard it by now. So he uttered the N word, um, that was broadcasted on the Twitch channel, kind of blew up that night on Twitter. Um, he did not say anything. It was more so just kind of the Twitter community going nuts. Then the next morning. So this is Monday morning. Chip Ganassi racing suspends him without pay. Then NASCAR suspends him indefinitely. Then Chevrolet suspends him. He then apologizes on Twitter, releases a, an apology video. And this, again, came from his Twitter account. I'm going to put this audio in for you guys. Here was Kyle Larson's apology on Twitter. Yeah, I just want to say I'm sorry. Um, you know, last night I made a mistake and said the word that should never, ever be said. And... Um, you know, there's no excuse for that. You know, I wasn't raised that way. You know, it's just an awful thing to say. And I feel very sorry for my family, my friends, my partners, the NASCAR community, and especially the African-American community. You know, I understand the damage is probably unrepairable and you know, I, I own up to that. Um, but I just wanted to let you all know how sorry I am. And, you know, I hope everybody is, is staying safe during these crazy times. Thank you. After that apology comes out, the dominoes start falling once again. And th these are what I think was kind of the main thing, maybe the straw that broke the camel's back, per se. Sponsorship. Credit One Bank originally said that they support that he is going to be suspended, but then they announced later in the day they're leaving Kyle Larson. McDonald's does the same thing. They are leaving Kyle Larson. Clover, they also leave Kyle Larson. This is late Monday night, and it was only a matter of time. And by Tuesday mid-morning, Kyle Larson was fired from Chip Ganassi Racing. Um, I'm going to – I don't have my statement uh, – my statement. Their statement prepared because I'm actually just recording this kind of off the cuff here. But let me, let me read it for you. Um, Basically, they said it's, quote, the only appropriate course of action to take. And frankly, I, I don't disagree with that. I, I think when we saw how big of a deal this was, when I heard it for the first time, I said, this, this is bad. And that really was the only appropriate course of action to take. Suspending him in the moment is fine. That's kind of what you have to do to get your ducks in a row and get something out there because you can't be radio silent. But he has been fired from Chip Ganassi Racing. He has been also released and fired from being a Chevrolet driver. Not much else to say here other than um, the word that he used should never be used in any context, regardless of who you are, what you're talking about, who you're talking to, anything like that. It, it comes with a, a history of negativeness. That's, I don't know if that's a word. You guys know what I'm trying to say, though, right? I mean... You don't say that word. And anybody who says the word, including Kyle Larson, deserves the punishment that comes their way. It just so happens that Kyle Larson is an athlete. He is a public figure. And those types of people are held to a higher standard. That is the case here. Like it or not, Kyle Larson will be hit harder, whether it's through the media, um, his job that he no longer has. Kyle Larson will be hit harder for it because... He is a public figure, and he is an athlete. Now, people are saying, oh, he should get a second chance. I think he will get a second chance. And I frankly think that he should get a second chance. I'm a firm believer in second chances, but it's not going to happen tomorrow. It's not going to happen next week. 
It's not going to happen next month. It's probably not going to happen next year. I mean, who knows? It might. We really do not know yet. But does he have the want to and does he have the drive, pun intended, to work his way back up to the Cup Series where he was contending for wins and winning races? Because Kyle Larson has kind of demonstrated the type of behavior in the past of, and he said on the record that basically he wants to run a full World of Outlaws schedule. And he hasn't said it openly, but NASCAR seems like kind of a paycheck for him. It's kind of a way to earn a living. World of Outlaws and sprint car racing on dirt is what he loves. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I support that. And I know that he still has a handful of sponsors on dirt with his team there, but I know that he does also run a Chevrolet there. So we'll see what happens in terms of Kyle Larson. I was talking with a couple um, NASCAR media folk today, and one of them, Aaron Bearden, who I want to have on this podcast soon, basically said, you know, is he going to go the Kurt Busch route, which I hadn't really thought which is kind of starting back up from the bottom with your small teams. I mean, Kurt Busch, as we remember, started with the 51 in Phoenix Racing with James Finch, then went to um, Furniture Row Racing, had a, and then he finally got picked up by Stuart Haas Racing, and now he's, ironically, at Chip Ganassi Racing. So I don't know whether or not Kyle Larson will try to do that and work his way back to the NASCAR Cup Series or whether a big team will take a shot on him, but that's going to be dependent on sponsorship and Right now, next week, next month, again, even next year, I don't know how you will sell a sponsor on Kyle Larson. I think this is one of those things where it's going to take time to get better. <laughs> I mean, time heals all wounds. We know that. But as, as Kyle said in his thing, the damage may be unrepairable. And I think that in this case, that may be true. But time will tell whether or not that comes to fruition or not. There's a lot to sort out, including a replacement driver. But for now, what we know is that Kyle Larson has been fired from Chip Ganassi Racing. And that'll wrap things up for episode 51 of Victory Lane 2.0. Sorry, we got a little heavy there at the end. We like to keep things light, but sometimes you got to address the heavy stuff, right? Uh, as I mentioned, do me a favor, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud. I, I know it sounds trivial and I say it every week, but that stuff really, really does help me out and helps this podcast gain some more visibility in, in the in the space because when you're going up against the behemoths of Dirty Mo Media and MRN and PRN and Glass Case of Emotion and Sunday Money and all these podcasts that are great that I all listen to, uh, it's hard to kind of gain some traction. But I hope that you guys that are listening find my work viable and um, reason enough to listen again, leave a rating and a review or Share some positive comments on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, what have you. So thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jagger, a.k.a. Jagger Jones, Jones, whatever you want to call him, um, and my update on the Kyle Larson incident. I know it's some heavy stuff, but it's got to be talked about. So we'll see you back here next week in Victory Lane, hopefully on a lighter note. Uh, actually, not next week. Later this week, I hope. Knock on wood. That was me knocking on wood with another guest from the racing world. But until then, stay safe and stay inside, party people.